0: if bootstrap means that you put the money in yourself and did all the sweat equity we bootstrapped the whole thing baby
1: well hello and welcome again from Haslett, michigan in the united states i'm your host constantine zigo and you're listening to the business of artisan chocolate podcast this was recorded back in late november 2021 and with christmas just a couple weeks away many of you are Reaping the effort of literally months and months of work. Lots of people start holiday chocolates back in June. And some people make as much as 90% of their income in the holiday season. So, not sure where you sit on that continuum, but I'm, I'm sure you're busy. In this episode, I'll be talking to Dallas Southcutt, the owner and chocolatier at the Chocolate Lab. He's located in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. As you'll hear, Dallas and his wife, Eva, run the operation together and they used the COVID disruption to move into a bigger space with more automation. And they've hit this 500,000 truffles per year milestone. And I really want you to hear about that. They're literally doing 10 times my volume. So that's a big number. I just want to mention that a couple of names came up uh, in the interview that you may or may not know. First, we mentioned Chris Harvey. Chris Harvey. Chris is a pretty Instagram famous chocolatier out of California. He works at Ann's Sons in Beverly Hills. He does interviews on Instagram, a lot of how-to videos. Some people have called him the coolest guy in chocolate and I would agree with that. So that's, that's Chris Harvey. Uh, you also hear the name Clay, who's Clay Gordon. He's founder of the Chocolate Life website. He wrote a book called Discover Chocolate. He's incredibly knowledgeable and he has a really wide range of knowledge you can find him on clubhouse a lot. he hosts a, a room there although i just read he's taking a little break from that but uh, clay gordon is somebody you should know if you're in the chocolate business as a tremendous resource uh, we also mentioned later on uh, christopher elbow and he is of course from christopher elbow chocolates a lot of us compare ourselves to him in various ways and you'll hear about that So anyway, pull up a chair and join the conversation between Dallas and myself about the artisan chocolate business. Dude, you're my first guest. How awesome is that?
0: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I'm glad you're my first host on a podcast. that?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it seems it seems like you and I are are often on the same page when it comes to just trying to get a handle on the the financial part of this business, you know. Everybody you know, you're part of the the Instagram crowd too, and it's just it's just full of folks, you know, impressing each other on how cool their stuff looks and you know, their awesome complex flavors that they make and you know, somebody's just got to stop once in a while and just say, you know, is anybody making any money at this?
0: Yeah, yeah, it 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 often is a big flex, and you know that's kind of one of the things I've learned from being on uh, social media for a while. And it's funny, one of the guys that I listen to on social media is actually um, is the business guy Gary Vaynerchuk, and you know he's he's he can be a little crass, but he's really yeah. got some uh, some great advice. And I actually don't call it social media anymore; I call it the current state of the internet. Which is really, if you sit back and think about that for a minute, like the current state of the internet, I digress a little bit, but you know, like the current state of the internet is has a lot of people showing how great their lives are when they're just miserable on the inside or maybe they're not miserable, but yeah, there's a big show. And um
1: no, you're, you're right about that. You're, you've tapped into that. Um That's, that's true. I mean, we all want to put our best foot forward
0: and and sometimes yeah, nice. we, 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 uh, put lots of best feet forward and it's cool. And you know what, Instagram, I like Instagram cause I think it's really, it's one of those things that, um, lets you show a pretty picture and let's all your friends go, Hey, that's, that's cool. And I like the value of that. Like Instagram's changed over the years, you know, like from when I got onto it, uh, and Chris Harvey had like 23,000 followers and. I was on with a few hundred and it was a different time back then, but, you know, we kind of got on and seized an opportunity in just the current state of the internet then and uh, started putting our own pictures out there. And maybe I was balling back in the day when I was young, you know, like when I had just like one little tiny shop in Chinatown and uh, I was showing, you know, pretty stuff by the, by the dozens with the uh, good angles, So it looked like it might've been more than the dozens. Um, but you know, like I, I really like I like the purity, the pure value of that. Like I, I don't never use these channels as uh overt marketing engines. Like I, I I use them to market my product, obviously, but I always tried to do it in a conversational way, in a way that I engage people and and bring people along a journey with me. So, you know, that then then when they they chat with me in, in the comments, I'm actually responding to them and I'm actually, you know, I'm there and I'm engaging with them. So if. I don't know. It's just a different mindset, and I think Instagram has changed too a lot, and uh, maybe I'm partly to blame for it.
1: <laughs> I I separated. I actually separated my Instagrams out, so I no longer communicate with my customers uh, through my Instagram channel that that you see me on. I have one for my shop. Um, it's the Park Lake Creamery, which is what they know me as here locally. Um, and then I actually I did something really unusual. I deleted a bunch of fr- uh, friends from my Instagram. Like I purified the list. I went through and took out. You know, like if you start a new Instagram account, you're gonna have all your friends and family and and customers and everything like that join. So you can get a big head start quick. You know, I went ahead and removed that. So my Instagram now is just down to really other chocolatiers for the most part. So, um, I don't know. So I, am I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little less careful what I say. Cause I feel like I'm just talking to other chocolatiers, you know, whereas on my shop page, obviously I'm going to position things differently, you know, when I, when I do it, but.
0: Totally. No, I, I get that. I, I had the, I don't know it was the fortune or the misfortune of my, like when I got into Instagram, I went with the chocolate app because of the name of my new business, right? Like that. I didn't really expect it to blow up the way it did. So in hindsight being 2020, and now I'm starting to try to develop my own personal brand. That's where you see the Dali Wonka thing, because I had a TikTok account blow up under the Dali Wonka name. So I decided to bring that in as more like my personal brand. So me within my company. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I can do a little more crazy stuff now because it has, you know, my main account, I still try to engage people, but it definitely has become a little more corporate um but if, you, you kind of have to when you're kind of appealing or trying to appeal to a big tent um you have to be I don't know maybe you don't have to maybe you can just can continue to be fringy I just think at some point like we're we're now at a point where our scale is demanding us to kind of just we have to we have to push and so it actually just I don't have the time to do it so I, I do some photos and I try to get people going on a journey on the main one um but Boy, boy, I'm I'm exhausted right now. Right,
1: I don't know how many how many hours you're supposed to. So yeah, you you are I think significantly ahead of me in terms of production volume. So we should we should talk about that. There's probably all these different ways to measure it, but if we just measure truffle output, uh, I think I heard you say, and I don't want to put numbers in your mouth here, but I think you said you're you're nearly at five or six hundred thousand a year. Is that is that correct or is that high?
0: Um, no, it's about 50 like I I think I usually said before it's like 150,000 in 3 months.
1: Right. I I did, I listen to that multiplied by 4. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, well that, that's you know, if you average it out, yeah, cuz you know, Christmas goes up. I try to, you know, we try right. to do output of about 20,000 a week on like Christmas rush. Mm-hmm. But it ebbs down. Up to it ebbs up and down, but if you were to average it out, it'd be about 50,000 uh, a month on oh so, yeah whatever that six that six hundred thousand a year five to six hundred thousand a year
1: right so I'm I'm at I'm only at sixty thousand a year so just kind of you just you can kind of see where I am but now I'm also still working alone yes and you of course you know my whole whole, whole story because I, um, I tell everything on my on my podcast but right now I'm working alone and I I like it but clearly every time I do the math or the analysis on it, to make any real money, you've got to get bigger, 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 bigger seems to be. But I'm, but I'm curious, I have a million questions for you, but just like, can you just tell me, like, how did you even get there? Did there must've been a, a start for you? Did you start right away with, you know, a certain volume and get bigger? Did you, did you start by yourself? Did you go through phases? Did you self fund? Like, how did you get to where you are now?
0: Okay. Um, we started like my wife and I own this company. Okay. And we started as a little mom and pop. All we could afford was this grotty place in Chinatown that was like 850 square feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the back, 350 square feet, was kitchen and the front was a little just tiny retail. And that was kind of our next phase. Uh, my wife used to work for uh, like we're in an energy town here. So she used to work for SunCore uh, and got laid off with when everyone lost their jobs in the mid 2010s, so okay. 2014 or so. And um, so this is kind of like a next chapter. We'd see what we would we could do with it because uh, we really didn't have a lot of options in, in the city, which was spent about
1: so it's been about seven years, ish.
0: The business uh, the business itself is in its sixth year although we were before we were actually doing it you know i was on facebook hawking you know christmas chocolates and stuff for for friends and stuff and i've got a fairly big list on facebook so like officially as a uh, independent shop we're Mm. we just finished our year five
1: i see i see
0: um but so it started out small like and it was just you know i was making the chocolates and she was selling them uh-huh. and we were open four days a week and, and my mother-in-law would watch the kids while we would go and do our thing so it was what I don't know what happened I think part of it is just my social media you know back then I was really attentive and the, there were less people on it and so I really just made a splash and drew a lot of really local attention um and people started coming. And that was really the problem is we, people, <laughs> it was a good problem to have, but it, it was a problem. Still, people just started coming and then it just got to the point where I'm like, I can't make enough chocolate. So that's when we decided to hire. And so we hired. Um,
1: oh, but wait, before you do that, tell me about, tell me about like, how did you, where did they get sold? Did you sell a hundred percent through that shop?
0: We sold a hundred percent through that shop.
1: See, so this is, this is interesting, right? Cause I, I have been maintaining that, that this this doesn't work well. And for you, it did. So I think I really want to, I want to tear into that a little bit because to have like a two person shop, you know, let's say you and your wife, because I, it's me and my wife too. Okay. With, with employees now, like, and you're about to tell me about your employees too, but, 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 you know, when it's just, it's just the core of it. Like I make the stuff and she sells the stuff, right? Like, do you think that, can you actually be profitable to, in, that, in that context? Or do you really just have to hurry through that and get bigger before you can actually, you know, put money away? What do, you, what do you think we should tell people about?
0: I guess it really depends upon where you are in your life and what really is profitable for you. Like, if you're a single person and you're young and you can get by with you know, 50, 60,000 a year, uh-huh. um, you can kind of do it and you can kind of be happy. Um, I have three kids, I've got a house, you know, like, I'm just like, I got a mortgage. You're like, I, I, I don't have that option. And so for us, the needing, you know, what it for, fortunately our, our hand was forced because the demand, like our shop was right downtown, like right where all the corporate towers were, and okay. where and you know, all the oil companies were <laughs> located. We were right there in Chinatown. So it was extremely walkable and just, we had some really great geographic uh, ability to drive walk-up traffic. And so I drive internet traffic to bring walk-up traffic. And that was really what got us going. Okay. But we really quickly realized we couldn't do this ourselves. So within four months of operating, we brought in uh, two staff, and then within another month, another staff. So we had three staff. And that was a struggle. That, that was is, very quick. That was really quick. But it was, then it became we, we were paying wages all of a sudden. And right. it was, then it became like we weren't making any money because <laughs> we were just paying for our employees' wages.
1: And right, so because we, there's, a certain, there's a certain production volume you got to get to. Like when you, when you have those employees, were they, were they production, retail, or both?
0: We had one retail and one production and then another one who was halftime production.
1: So you took somebody on right. Well, you must have been pretty confident in yourself to bring on a production person. You weren't still learning, right? You were you were on your game.
0: Well, I think it's a uh, you know it's a learning the whole thing's a learning thing all your life long. But no, I was. I,
1: <laughs> I mean, yes. Um, I mean, there are days I still look at myself and say I completely suck. I mean, I <laughs>
0: like I was feeling that way today on in Rover because you're we in <laughs> so many things, and I was just like it was it was just acting up. The the uh, detailing uh, rod was acting up, and I was just like, come on, work with me today. But you know, like I was still growing, but at the same time, I had been. I had been perfecting my craft for a good five years up till then. Okay. So, you know, like when my oldest kid, who's going to be 13 in 10 days, was born, I worked nights at CTV, and we were in Vancouver then, so I took care of him in the daytime, and that was when I took my love for chocolate eating to love for chocolate making, because he was at home with me all day, and so we sat there, and I put a little stainless steel table in my kitchen and started in like, you know, I had a little three kg moldar and a little piece of marble and I started learning. So, by, by the time I opened my shop, I had worked for Bernard Calabo. I had taken a Cole Chocolat's program. I had put in about five years of uh, study and then making my own chocolates that I sold on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like it, what, you know, at what level I was, I guess what now I would define as kind of a cottage person, but I, I have, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an assessant learner. So like, for me, it was like, I was in my kitchen making high level stuff on my own because I've just, my brain works that way. I, I have to know things and have to dissect them and break them down and, and do them a million times. So then they are really re- repetitive and I can do it consistently. And, you know, like I just have that kind of methodical brain. So when I had the space and the chocolate and the time, cause I had a young kid, I'm just dug right into it. So by the time I took on an employee, I just had to learn how to get what was in my brain out, use my words and show someone else. And so my first employee, she was fresh out of pastry school. And she literally walked in the door and I had this one uh, bonbon that was an ode to my aunt who was a food stylist in Los Angeles. And it was um, like, it was Papua New Guinea, uh, 80% dark chocolate uh, and the cream was steeped in uh, some Chinese tea, and it had cognac with it. And, <laughs> okay, it was, it was really out there. Like I, I don't sell that kind of stuff anymore, but it, you know, I was pretty bold when I first started. And and this girl comes out of pastry school, and she and her boyfriend came in into our little shop and bought a bunch of chocolates and sat in the front and they ate them all. And I guess she said she ate that one and she said, "I need to work here," and so she convinced Eva that she needed to work here
1: nice
0: (laughs) it was like oh okay you need to work here okay you're fresh out of pastry school sure you know like we really need help so (laughs) and so that you know like so I took her under my wing and I actually got her through her apprenticeship papers and so now she's a red seal she's not with me anymore but um, you know she she put in three plus years with me and so I took her under my wing and I showed her everything I, I knew and got her to be a rock star in chocolate making and so
1: yeah. What do you think is the, the successful way there? Do you think, cause you're still very much in the kitchen now, right? So side by side working type thing. Uh, what do you think? Or, or, you know, show them something, walk away, see how it went, you know, check in often.
0: Well, well, back then it was a lot more like we had a really tiny kitchen. So it was working side by side and, mm-hmm. you know, watch, do, watch, do. Now go do it a bunch of times. Now show me you can do. Now we'll do this one. Um, it's, it's evolved. Like, like, you know, that was early days. And then, you know, we, I started teaching a few uh, people like that. And then I started implementing the, that old kitchen, uh, strategy. Cause I've worked in other kitchens before in, in savory kitchens uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, throughout university so like it was like the you you, the chef teaches two people certain things and then those two people once they learn it really well are tasked to teach the next two people and there's that succession planning so i started instilling that in my kitchen like later on in life so i can check in and make sure that people are still doing it the way that i showed them my management style has completely changed i've learned to become a way different manager over the years but at the beginning i was still learning how to, yeah, learning how to deal with other people under me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I've done, I've led volunteer crews. I've led crews like in the, in, like when I was working in television, but never kind of in that being like the chef. So it was, it was a different experience at first, but you know, the times kind of worn me down.
1: <laughs> you know, for me, it was this quality control thing constantly. Right. So they wouldn't necessarily do it as well as I would do it. And you know, it's constantly that difficult decision about whether I keep it or toss it, or whether it's good enough, or you know, that that kind of thing. Um, I.
0: It's funny you you mentioned that because I had to learn to let go of certain certain things when I started bringing staff in, mm-hmm. like that they would never be as passionate as I am. But with the right amount of training, they can be consistent enough to that I'll put my name on it. And if if it's a question of ooh, is that good enough to go? Then it's probably not good enough. Um, Like I I instill high standards in these people, and and sure they're not at my level because they're just not. They're not the owner. They're not going to be as passionate. Um, Maybe once in a while you get people who who are super passionate, and then you're super lucky that you got someone who's that passionate. But it's it's tough, and that quality control thing is really. As a manager in an order, you have to start. You have to let go of some of the little things too, and learn what's a big thing and what's a little thing. And that's been a big process that I've been learning and growing on. I, you know, that's uh, still something that I learn and grow on.
1: So back to this shop because I'm really trying to, try to put a fine point. I don't want to gloss over it because this is the hard. This is the really hard part that I think a lot of people are are going to be stuck on, right? Which is. Okay, so it's it's you and your wife. Wow, you really quickly went out and got three employees. You you probably didn't overpay for them, right? Cause you were young and getting started. And you you sold a hundred percent of your product, if I understand you right, through the shop. There wasn't a wholesale business, there wasn't farmers market pop ups. Is that right? Or Or did you have a little, or was there anything that was safe and steady that was?
0: Well, yeah, there were always, uh, well, and these, these came as we grew, but things like uh, the opera, the Calgary opera, um, because I'm, I'm involved in the music scene here in, in Calgary. So I know a lot of people who, who do that, you know, the opera and the Philharmonic and all these different things. And Mm. um, so we had a gig at the opera and we've had it every year so every single opera we can pop up a chocolate shop and they loved it it was so like and, you know and we did uh we were in with the mayor and so we you know when he opened the simons we were there as the you know simons the, the chain store and other stuff that was you know, kind of official mayor stuff we would bring chocolates and uh-huh. so they're like and there were there were opportunities that came along over time through like my past that allowed me to uh, bring chocolates or provide soirees. And so, you know, we, we, yeah, those things are great. And those things are really what, those are bread and butter at, after a while. And and we ended up doing so many of them that we were in the airport and we were in Saks Fifth Ave and, and we did some big ones over time where they're fully staffed out like cute kiosks and the whole nine yards. Like, oh, wow. kind of, so like there was a period of time, we're not doing any of that now, but there was a period of time, like in like, 2018 and 2019 just before covid hit that we were going like at that point in time we had two retail shops um and we were doing pop-ups all over and high profile pop-ups so like there are steps that we got to where we are now and like you know we could sit and talk about all of them i'd tell you about all of them but there were definite steps to get to the point where you can turn a profit where you can keep an engine going now we have to because you know we're in a factory space but um yeah, you're not profitable at first, unless your idea of profit is what we talked about earlier. And then you have to learn how to quickly grow and figure out how to level up. You know, and there's, and
1: there's a step even before that, which is, which is generally referred to as cottage foods, right? Which is, um, I, I find a lot, of, a lot of chocolatiers are in that, are in that stage. I, I don't want to talk about that too much, because obviously, we're, we, we, you and I are both beyond that but if you, in those first few years, if, if you haven't gone through the licensing yet and you're still working at home, I mean, you're financially capped, at least in the U S at about $10,000. So you're, you can't make more than $10,000. So you're going to, you know, a couple hundred dollars here, a couple hundred dollars there, maybe enough to keep buying your chocolate, maybe enough to self fund your hobby or whatever, but you know, until you make that leap to go from home to some kind of a production kitchen of some kind, you absolutely cannot make a living doing it.
0: Yes. hundred percent.
1: Because you're finding, because you're not, if you did, it would be illegal. It would be against the rules. Right. So, so at some magic point, you've got to, you've got to have this, you know, this kitchen and you've got to, or you've got to rent a kitchen and you've got to make enough to kind of overcome the headwind, you know, associated with, with that. And I think, I think that's where a lot of people stumble is in that, is in that first, you know, that first transition, unless you come at it with a certain amount of capital, like you, you sound like, you know, you were a professional person before you had, you had some money, you had some savings, so you weren't, you didn't bootstrap your way from cottage foods, let's say, into the first retail store. But you probably felt the pressure to make money right away. I assume.
0: Um. Well, define what you mean. Bootstrap? Does it, it? If bootstrap means that you put the money in yourself and did all the sweat equity, we bootstrap the whole thing, baby um from day one no no we've like only recently.
1: well I figured you bow, you you took from your nest egg a little
0: oh yeah yeah but that's still that's still robbing Peter to pay Paul True, no, fair. We, we, ab- <laughs> we absolutely took out of our nest that that was the way that we funded it like that was exactly what it was um and we took a significant amount like we took a big hit of mm-hmm. riding riding this one so that yeah there was a lot of pressure to make money um and so we had to figure out how to do it and that was really that's tough. And it's trying to figure out how to make money. It's coming a little easier now, but it's still tough. I I stress out about it all the time still. And, and I'm not the one that has to look at the books.
1: They keep you away from the books. (laughs)
0: Um, My, my partner is just is good at it. And you know, when you're good at it, you just do it. And uh, she's kept us out of trouble from day one. So I I think, I, I don't know, I have, I have the habit of buying things. So uh, I probably wouldn't be the person that would be good at keeping the books.
1: Yeah, because you're yeah you, you are kind of an equipment guy. Well, yeah, because you've done you've gotten into panning. Yep. So you'll have to tell me about that. Not to digress already, but um, is panning is panning a good gig? Is it
0: okay? I, here's here panning uh, panning's a great gig. Panning can take over. Like I say, panning, no, I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I'd say it's over 20. It's between 20 and 30% of our sales now are panning.
1: that blows my mind because that didn't because that was fast, right?
0: Yeah, it was. But what I realized was if you want to get serious with panning, buy the absolute biggest damn panner you can. Okay. <laughs> I okay. Mean, really, the size does matter because the batch size and the amount of time that you spend in the panner is almost identical whether you're using a little KitchenAid. Or whether using a big industrial panner. The only thing that is different is the output is exponential.
1: So just get a big damn panner. Yeah. If you're going to yeah. do it, do it right.
0: If you're going to do it. And, and we don't even have a big enough one. Like I, I got a 24 inch one. So, like, you know, it's about the same size as what Chris is. Those said those they can handle 20 to 30 kilograms of, of finished product. Um, and
1: that unlike, sounds like a lot. That sounds it is like a lot. a
0: lot. But the thing is, if you can make a great, consistent product, and, uh, you know, I, I want to, you know, if you do end up getting into panning, I'll give you some resources of some American contacts for some really cool stuff that clay got me into some mm-hmm. vegan, vegan glazes and coatings and stuff, as opposed to the bug lack. It's good, good product. <laughs> <Really> good product. <laughs> We're
1: not going to have a shellac bug discussion. Okay. No. Okay. But anyhow,
0: yeah, panic panning can be profitable. You just have to approach it with, you know, scale is important. And then being really methodical. And then labor is like, I'm fortunate that I have one of my staff are have taken an interest in panning and he wants to get great at it. So every time I put like now we're doing two to three panning sessions a week. And I'm like, he's like, I want to do one boss. I want to do two. Like, let me do the other one. And because until then it was, I was the only one that was doing it. So I was. It was killing me because it's like four, you're sitting on this machine for four hours.
1: Well, that's what, yeah. So talk, talk to me about that. Cause like, what's, what's the work cycle? What's the work cycle look like on a, is it something you don't, you have to keep an eye on this thing or just barely keep one eye on this thing or.
0: You're, you've got your hands in it almost the whole time.
1: Oh, you do? Oh yeah. Okay. So you're, Um, so it's a four hour batch as in you're on it. You're not leaving.
0: You're not leaving. No. Um, okay. The only, the, the time that you can leave is when you level up into like the, you know, the six and seven figure machines that do it all for you. Like when you're at this level, when you're in the, you know, under $15,000 invested into machinery, mm-hmm. um, you're manually doing it all. Uh, so you, you've got your fingers in there for four or five hours You're you know, and you're cleaning it and you're doing all this stuff. Like there's, there's expensive machines that do it all for you and you could probably just walk away.
1: So you, do you have just one? Yes. You have just one. So, so you just, you just decide see, I, I had the wrong impression. I thought you just keep this thing running all the time, like a Melanger or something, you know, grinding chocolate, which I know you're into that too, but, but, but so in, in, a, in a panner, you, you sit down to make a batch, you stay on focus and then you produce and then the, the, the cost of the material, just like anything else, I assume the cost is not super high, right? As far as the, the ingredients go?
0: No, it's not overwhelming. Like I'm doing, you know, you, like I'll say with hazelnuts, I can do a four or five kilogram batch uh, of starting hazelnuts. Uh, I tend to run it under four because it's just, you, you overwhelm the machines and, and it just gets to be a lot more trouble than it's worth. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, say we'll save for around number four kilograms of hazelnuts. And then I would probably use roughly a three to one ratio. You do recover some because a bunch sticks to the inside of the pan. So you can reuse that for the next round. I see. Um, but, you, you know, roughly three to one. Coffee beans are way higher. Sometimes you can one to one. It really depends upon, the, you know, how much chocolate you want to put on. So that's what, say say you were three to one and you got two back. So say you just said two to one. So two parts chocolate, eight kilograms. One part hazelnuts, four kilograms. You know, you, know, you can do you know the cost of that.
1: Right, 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 right.
0: And, you know, with that, I can make twelve. 15 kilograms worth of product
1: in those little in those little stand-up bags
0: and those little stand-up bags are either 100 or 150 grams Uh
1: uh-huh so it's a lot it's a lot of
0: each one's 15 bucks yeah okay but if you can if you can get your batch size up um you can make money at it Mm -hmm. And, and it doesn't need to be technically skilled label it doesn't have to be super skilled it's not super uh you know you could teach someone how to do it it's really attending a machine
1: it's just shocking to me that that it's it's gone up to like you said 20 30 of your business that's that's just yeah.
0: uh the the pretty packaging really helps like i've got to say <laughs> mm-hmm. um and and just you know like having the presence that we have now when i put stuff up on the internet i get sales like that's really what it comes like with when I put something up on Instagram, I get sales of it. I it's see. Just, it's just the way it's kind of evolved to. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm blown away
1: by it. Store, store, store traffic or online online sales?
0: We have moved to probably a 70% online model Wow. in, in, in COVID. Um, no, but we still, we have a factory storeroom that's open six days a week. So you can order from your desk and pick it up. Uh, You can do curbside pickup or we'll we'll deliver it to you
1: within the city too. Oh, nice. How'd you work that out?
0: It's logistics. Like um, fortunately the factory allows us a big parking space. So we have the ability to do a curbside pickup and we have the space to have a retail shop. And then uh, we work with, uh, we we are going to be again working with a local delivery partner and they do the shuttle deliveries within the city. And then if, um, it's not within the city or it's not in the delivery service. Uh, we have great
1: FedEx rates. So you have, you're probably, so do you, is, is that still, is that still a, are you like in the more industrial part of town now?
0: We are now, but we're, we're like close inner city industrial. Okay. So, we're, so what happened is the area that we are in now is now magically become uh, craft brew pub Trendy. It's, it's yeah. So we're just right on the outskirts of where all these, you know, all these coffee companies and these brew companies have, have, have been. So uh, it's, it's kind of been okay for us, but. Did
1: you have to close the, the Chinatown shop during COVID? Is that what wound up happening there? Or did... Yeah. You know, okay.
0: It closed our doors and then it just, you know, we just couldn't be there and it, we couldn't, we, we should have moved years before. Like really we were out of lease for, the last year and a half and we should have moved before it was a crappy building my gosh <laughs> we, we had really outgrown it a long time before it was becoming such a problem because we had um, we had rented a warehouse just to be able to house all the stuff that was coming and all the boxes and mm-hmm. the freezers we, we couldn't even put a double commercial freezer in there <laughs> so it, it was it was really challenging so you know like covid offered us an opportunity to find a new space in an industrial area and have tons of space like i've sixty three hundred square feet now so like we've got the space um to just become really efficient and you know not having a ton of staff too we've been forced to become efficient but um man having the space has really made such a difference
1: yeah it sounds like it that 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 um that sounds like an interesting transition—not not the whole COVID part necessarily, but just the, um, because because so first it starts with a pretty modest kitchen space, if I can remember, I think you said around three hundred and some feet, three fifty or something, and then the and then the store space, and then this this in probably a semi-expensive area in Chinatown, I don't know, to then more of an industrial move right lots more space very efficient setup
0: but not you know not the same Yeah, i I was going to say not the same walk traffic but the funny thing is that covid hollowed out our downtown so (laughs) so it Mm -hmm. hasn't actually we would have been we would have been dead in the water in, in chinatown if we had been able to reopen well you know businesses did reopen in chinatown but Mm-hmm. That, you know, COVID decimated all of the offices downtown, like nobody goes downtown, so it's nothing. So for our city, it worked moving into an industrial area because everyone drives here, it's a driving city. So for us, it was like, find a place, lots of parking. And that was really the thing, find something that's like, you know, we're right off a of central, uh, like a central uh, street uh mm-hmm. well so it's, it's it's you know it's very you know, there are a lot of landmarks around there so it's really easy to get to uh but there's a lot of parking that's why, really why nice.
1: is the parking important
0: because uh, we had none in chinatown <laughs> okay <laughs> that's a so people China- wanted to
1: come see you but it was annoying to park very annoying i see yeah, yeah. i see well yeah that's interesting so now now nick talk to me about your you're set up now because you've got 6300 square feet is it all is it all there now like the 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 freezer where you store stuff the room where you package stuff the room where you you know spray your molds the the room where the actual production is the machinery the enrober the panner all of this is in one contiguous space is that right is that how it is now Exactly. And that's got to be a big difference, right?
0: There's no comparison. There isn't there's really no comparison and um because of the
1: logistics of moving stuff from point A to point B constantly if you don't have space.
0: We reduced the number of handling points by probably 50% just mm-hmm. by moving into the same space and that was really important.
1: Yeah. Super it's, good advice for people, I guess, right?
0: Yeah, but I think it's also depends upon where you are, you know, like with some, with some people, maybe an industrial space isn't the right answer. I know a few other operators that have kind of hit the chasm and hit that next level and an industrial space, they make it work. Like once you've gotten, you know, to be known a little bit, then you, you kind of, as long as you're not located in somewhere really crazy, people will come to you, right? You kind of, that's the expectation after a while. I don't know if you were like not as well known, if that would be a good move but it's worked for, from a production standpoint and from a, you know, like having just more team dynamics, just being able to operate at a better level at a higher level. Um, There's no comparison right now. Like we're so much more efficient. Um, You know, I've got my own spray room, like just for spraying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) With ventilation.
0: With ventilation. Like it's, it's, it's really, you know, so when we, we go to the spray room, it's like going into operating theater. And the warming tray with all the cocoa butters is there. And, you know, we've got LED lights all set up in there. We can turn the light off. It looks like you're in the operating room and all the molds are stacked up and then you just you spring and we've got a commercial sprayer. So it's, you can just hear the turbine going and it's, it's, it's cool. It's 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 really, yeah, I, I was joking today because we were doing a big enrobing session. I was telling one of our new staff that you, you can get this thing on the end of the enrober. It's called a cooling tunnel. But then I'd have to drill a hole into my wall and go out (laughs) another 15 feet. But I was trying to explain to her how, you know, like at the very end, yeah, look what you're doing here. If you pick it up at the end of the cooling tunnel, you can put it right into the package. Right into the package. That's crazy. (laughs) And I've seen one of those, uh, a friend of mine here in the city, he does really big chocolate stuff. And he bought a million dollar in roger. Oh wow! Have you have you ever seen with your eyes a million dollar in No,
1: I, I imagine a lot of the money is in the stupid cooling tunnel part, though. Oh yeah, but,
0: massive. He had like doing dual... I've never
1: really fully understood also why the cooling tunnel is so expensive and and seems to be to me to be somewhat overbuilt, but but I might and I might be missing something because you you put in you put in. Um, the pieces come into the belt at a certain rate, right? Through the enrober. Does it, does that rate stay the same all the way through the cooling tunnel or does it slow or do the pieces slow?
0: Depending on the cooling tunnel you have, they often have different zones. So there, you know, the, there's the fast cool down, slow cool down, and then it can slow down a little bit. And sometimes you've seen the one that Selmy has, it's the spider. It's a that, really cool, innovative way that they do it.
1: The, the one that spins.
0: Uh, no, that's, I think the octopus it's like, it's, just, She's it's, a, it's a vertical, uh, it's a vertical cooling tunnel. Okay. It's cool. It's really cool. Like sell me, I like sell, you know, sell me is one of those things. That's like, it's like, oh, got the new Ferrari mag. Let's look through it. You know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, yeah, no, it's, it's, um, moving into a big space and having the ability to, uh, not move the machines around, you know, like have, I have a machine that's, you know, a 55 kg continuous tempering machine now that's just for dark chocolate. I have one that's just for white chocolate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we had to make some big capital investments this year. So it's been an expensive year for us. My wife is still, oh, we're, we're, we're back on docking terms. But it was it was a tough, you know, like it was tough to make this jump, but it was so necessary. Um, but having the space to have, um, so we have a milk, a dark and a white continuous unit that are just
1: there all the time ready right? when you need it all the
0: time and no cleaning no and my two old wheelies that was what we used for years like two 30 kg jkvs mm-hmm. they're like you know one's got caramel mill or calmer white and the other one's like when we do bars i put all the bar you know all the stuff in there and i melt it all out and then i run the wheel and i do a whole bar run so we're using it as our bar uh machine now so like you know, having really uh, machines do specific tasks and having the space to put them all out and actually have them all running. Um, that's just, that's been a really cool thing for me as a machine dork, uh, just mm-hmm. seeing the opera and we could never do that before. We, we, we didn't really just have the physical space to be able to do that.
1: It's solving a lot of engineering problems, just logistics problems I should say really. Right. Cause something's in the way of something else. So something has to be moved to make space I, I find I f- there's a lot of jostling around
0: yes for us in the old kitchen it was always everyone had to use the microwave at the same time mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to melt this we have to melt that we have to melt this we have to melt that and it was like oh my gosh, do I need a wall of microwaves to suit, suit you guys But then I realized no it just I needed the space to be able to have a warming cabinet for all the cocoa butters and a melting tank for this and a melting tank for that so stuff was just at the ready and we wasted so much time before just Sitting around the microwave, it was like it became like coffee hour around the microwave. Like it really was just. I had to, we had to really COVID forced us to really deep dive on all of our processes and figure out where we were wasting time and wasting money. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no extra money, so you, we had to be really tight and we had to be really conscious about all the decisions and and having the space to have the machinery to uh, just have no screwing around time.
1: What's interesting to me though is that if once you solved a lot of the efficiency problems a, a through process or b through just this, just the new facility, right. Just because you have space suddenly to deal, to deal with that is that now, and if you didn't increase your staff, then, but your, your production must've went way up, right. Cause all of a sudden you're more efficient. So where, like, how did, how did you just be able to, to just sell all the stuff that you make? Like, I'm just trying to see, I'm just trying to understand how, like for me, for me, I have wholesale accounts, right? And, and if I add more wholesale accounts, it's easy. I'll just, I'll sell more product. That's my, that's my lever. All I got to do is drive a little bit further to another store, make another deal. And if I do, I'll instantly have the volume that'll draw through my product but you're not doing that. And that fascinates me. So you just have that much retail draw for your product,
0: which yeah. is awesome.
1: Don't get me wrong. I'm just, yeah, I'm just yeah, trying yeah. to understand it.
0: So we have corporate accounts. We work with some hotels, uh, which, you know, have only started coming back because we can, everything's opening up again. Okay. Um, and we do a fairly strong corporate traffic. We're in a corporate city. So corporate business has been big for us. That's mm-hmm. really that, you know, you talk about that, that wholesale stuff. We didn't do wholesale because we could never create enough product to fulfill our, our needs. And we're now able to scale up to meet those needs. That's what I, I, I have felt so inadequate every year because I feel like we're leaving money on the table. And you need to make so much money, as you know, when July, August and September comes and you're making no money. You need to make money for those months. So like it was like I always felt cheated that I was leaving money on the table because I couldn't put any, enough pressure in the line to make enough product. For the uh-huh. sales okay and it only grew worse when covet hit and everything became online we just were selling out of everything so making the infrastructure changes that'll have allowed us to at least meet the demand so then we can get to a growth you know to growing this business but now we're just trying to meet the demand
1: i see i see that makes that makes sense so and talk-
0: internet 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 i i can't say enough about the you know like the internet has driven everything we've done right now. And the growth has been because of the internet.
1: Well, when you say internet, you mean social media for you, right?
0: Well, social media drives them to the website, but having a, a, you know, I have a full service online shop and we're always talking about how to create a better customer experience and do more and engage more and add more. And so like, you know, I have like, tech hooks into all the like i've qr codes on all my products
1: oh yeah that, I, that's right i heard you say that before that's cool
0: um so like we have tech hooks and everything so i put you know i put process videos oh. and alternate pictures and you know i'm trying to get more into telling stories with these things too so mm-hmm. uh, you know i just the lack of time right now but um <laughs> yeah the, the internet and so social media has been my way of driving traffic to the website to buy stuff
1: and yeah, that's super I, interesting
0: it's it's hit and, and and my experience is different i guess than other people because my account got big quick and early and that's really that's one of the things and really local too you know we've got a, so much local followers and mm-hmm. really engaged foodie culture and people that you know love going and finding the prettiest things and then instagramming them and then you know all their gaggle of friends come like that was what that was what chinatown was all about that kind of that, that low key local virality. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's just, you know, it's, yeah you know, it's, it's a little more corporate now, but it's, it's big business now. So, you know, like we're, it's, it's different. It's way different now.
1: <laughs> well, you get an order for 300 boxes, you know, and there's, there's eight pieces per box or something like that. Right. So
0: we're doing a, it, it a goes two, fast well yeah they're you know they're packaging right up right now a thousand boxes of 25 mm-hmm. it's just a different wow. uh, it's a different thing you know like it's but it, but it takes an army now like you know we've got how many people do you have on your side like now six seven seven yeah like eva's got seven people on her side just filling boxes and taking orders I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, my wife and I work in the same building, and I saw her for lunch. She's like, I heated up your your lunch <laughs> And I was just like, ah, oh, so sweet of you. Like, isn't in the same damn building all day?
1: <laughs> Where the hell are you?
0: <laughs> just, I'm on my side, she's on hers. Like, and she's leading her team, and, and I'm leading mine, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a totally different thing than when we got started.
1: So let's take a quick break and collect our thoughts. Whenever you think about the growth of your chocolate business, you inevitably have some limiting factors. These are the things that you personally obsess over. What's interesting is that while we could probably agree on a list, most of us are not hung up on the same item in the list. In other words, what's a limiting factor for one company is not a problem for another, but we all have something. For example, it could be money. You don't have enough capital to do what you need. It, it could be space. Maybe you you just don't have enough room. You may be limited by the number of molds that you own. You may be limited by a lack of a proper spray booth. You might be limited by the size of your pots or your stoves. So you can't make a bigger batch or whatever equipment you're using to cook. Um, you may not have an enrober or the one you have isn't big enough or not fast enough. There's usually something that that limits you. And then there's another one and it happens to be one of mine and that is the lack of freezer space. I have a few upright freezers but what I really need is a walk-in freezer and we're going to talk about that next.
0: Christmas, Christmas is crazy. Christmas is just, you can never do enough. So it's, it's an absolute necessity. And you spend almost half your year preparing for Christmas. I don't know what you do, but we spend nearly half a year preparing for Christmas for one damn month.
1: Oh, for Um, sure. For sure. There are, there are certain chocolatiers that have made uh, certain holidays big for themselves just by just what they do. I mean, there's some that if they're all about Easter. There's some that are really a lot about Valentine's. But, you know, sure. the overwhelming majority of them are just about, you know, Christmas. You know? Ours, at, is
0: the, ours has become the double whammy. Like, well, we we're known for a few things, but at this time of year, ours is the double whammy of Advent and Christmas. And mm-hmm. Advent's from uh my Anglican background. I see. So, you know, like we were the first people to do Advent. Now everyone does it, but um, Advent's a big one for us. Like Interesting. Really big, huge one for us. So uh, and then that rolls right into Christmas. So having the walk-in freezer has allowed me to produce at the volume. You know, I needed 50,000 pieces for Advent. I, where do you store 50,000 pieces just for one project? Like the, the walk-in freezer has been
1: uh, a game changer for us. Right. I, I could see that. Yeah, that's and talk to me about the molds. Like, so what, what if, what have you learned about scaling up on molds? It looks to me like you don't have a lot of different shapes. Maybe you do, but I see the dome mold for you is like the biggie. Is that, is that fair?
0: Yeah. Now it's, it's only dome molds. Dome molds are our our primary production. We have an advent mold, which is the same molds that Chris Harvey uses the CW 2022s. Okay. Um, and those are just a, a, a shorter demosphere. They're not as tall as the dome. I see. But we use those for the advent just because they're a specific thing. And we have some specific molds. But, no, the domes are that's our main primary one. And we used to have four or five different shapes. But we've cut them all out. They, none of them produce. It's, we had to make these, you know. Sure. It's easy. It's easier for the artwork, too. It's easier production-wise because there's no crazy shapes. And there's a good return on investment because there's 32 cavities in the mold. So you have to think about, you know, like when you're trying to think about scaling and, and about actually making money at it, you have to think about, well, Hey, that's got only 28 cavities. That one's got 32 cavities and that one's got 40 cavities. What's going to be the Cause I, I passed that with the chocolate the same amount of time. So I'm waste, you know, I, I'm making eight more pieces. That's 16 more, you know, Mm-hmm. What, Two seventy-five a, a truffle, or three bucks a truffle. You know, you can do the math, right? That's eight times three, but that that's that's significant. So you know, you have to think like that when you're doing the molds. And, and that mold, that dome, is really kind of the best of all of that.
1: I'm I'm curious about what what the other limiting factors are. Like one one that one that I can see. One we've talked about, which is, which is freezer space, right? Um, the, the other one is and I, the other one is just the number of of molds which you know you've really done good there by just standardizing on a single mold shape pretty much but then the other one i i think about is ganache batch size talk to me about that a little bit because i mean the, the, that's not infinite right i mean so how yeah. do you how do you handle that
0: so we use uh we have two thermal mixers um and we actually i've i do a ganache in all in a thermomix uh, i learned a way to do it from an old school chocolatier who was just like look i'm going to show you a way and it's, you know yeah sure you're a ganache master yourself but i'm going to show you the way that and you can teach your staff and your newbie can make a, as consistent a ganache as your most experienced guy don't you want consistency i said totally
1: definitely you know, so
0: like, you know like, so sold he, yeah so he showed me a way to do it all in one pod in the thermal mixer and i was like sold and so i can only do about you know two liters to 20 2500 liters max
1: i don't really ganch. know what this is what is this machine
0: it's kind of like a blender that you can heat like you've never seen a thermal mix they cut, there's different brands but next time you know get on the internet later on and go thermo mix okay To see what comes up so that chris has chris has got one too a lot of a lot of the french chefs are big into them because they can chop they can dice they can do it at heat um but for a ganache you know what do you want you want to, you want to scald your cream you want to put in your liquid sugars you want to get that all nice and toasty then you want to pour in some melted chocolate and you make an emulsion then you pour in some butter and then your finishings and then you whip it up and it's inside a, a chamber like if you go a really big school you can get a stefan or some of these other ones that are like way bigger but okay. we're not we're not that level like a, we do two liters to 2.5 liters per and then we have two of those going at the same time so it's five liters of of ganache per and you know like it's what you can fit into a piping bag like a 21 inch piping bag so like how big does your batch need to be when you can only use a piping bag? Like for... how
1: many moles does that translate to approximately?
0: So we do, to think. we do batches of 32, which is, uh,
1: 32 moles. Yeah. 32 moles is one flavor. So you, so you go, you take the 32 moles, you, you color them the way you want to. And based on your, based on your fo- your tell all photos on Instagram, you, you've walked multiple molds, set molds into the into the spray booth and have them sprayed up with different colors. So you must batch five or six flavors or something like that at a time I'm guessing. putting yeah. words in your mouth here.
0: No no you do, you're, you're on the money you're, you're right on the money.'ve
1: okay, so got
0: We've only gotten up to this in the last you know, year and a half so
1: Yeah, but it's cool. It, it sh- kind of shows what people what people need to do. When I I started,
0: I was doing three molds per batch, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's it's grown quite a bit from there. But you know, the steps are you know that's the repetition part. You have to, and you have to simplify your designs too. Like you see all of these gorgeous designs on Instagram right and and you you have to understand that guy had all day to make the <laughs> one plaque look amazing right my favorite
1: ones are the ones where they where they take I just saw one just randomly saw one yesterday on Instagram where somebody had like the, the cry cut cutter and and cut letters and shapes <laughs> and and each one of those like the letter A is a sticker. Okay. And then stickered the bottom of the, of the mold. Okay. With that sticker to, to create the negative space. Right. And then spray like crazy, pull off the sticker, spray some more. (laughs) My God, they're beautiful, but there's 30 of them, right?
0: Yeah.
1: It's just not.
0: And he picks his best one for the for the for the money shot, right? Oh. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, I've got to make a thousand of these, like we have to be able to be deep. So it it's made you know made me simplify some of the uh, designs and the in- intricacies of the designs, especially in the main line. Like we, we change certain things up seasonally, but we have our main line that are there year round, and they're they're stead and true. And you can make 32 in your sleep, you know. It just really is the way it goes. But then, yeah, then we freeze them.
1: It's interesting because that it really kind of speaks to the kind of chocolatier that you want to be. Right. And I mean, there's, there's the perpetual hobbyist chocolatier that just, you know, sells at a few pop-ups maybe and friends and family and one special order, but they never really get out of that. And then, and then and then to the other side where there are a lot of folks out there with side hustle. You notice that? Yeah. Like there's, they're, they've got something else going on. They're, they're teaching, they're selling their recipes. There's a hustle there to kind of make extra money. And then there's this, I guess you'd say, production-based chocolatier which really has to make enough product to, you know, to make a real living at it. So it, and it seems like if you're, if you don't get to a certain scale, when I look at my molds, if I'm going to do a mold, I've got maybe 18 or so molds of a particular shape, not a hundred, 18. And I've got that 350 square foot space. And I've got, so I'm, I'm like, I'm at your Chinatown level, Right. I don't see a way to make more than hundred dollars an hour. I can make a hundred dollars an hour all in that is against all of my expenses. So if I were willing to work a thousand hours in production a year, I could make a hundred thousand dollars, which is about what you said, about 50,000, hundred thousand. Right. Yep. But to really, to get past that, I think takes, it takes that jump Um, do you think I'm, do you think I'm right about that? Cause I want to try to provide good advice to people out there. And it seems like that's what you did.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I did. You're, you're, you're bang on like absolutely bang on it. It is that, that, that next jump and And that's a, it's a scary jump. Like I, I have to say we're, there's lots of time where Eve comes to me and she's just like, "Oh my gosh, we're broke. we <laughs> just like, we got to have some money coming in." Like it's it's just the stress compounds when you get bigger, but at the same time, the the rewards are bigger for sure, for sure. We we've got a pretty cool dynamic team and we do good, high quality work, and that's the great thing is you know, as a as a and that's really what we want as as the artisan is that our visions being reproduced properly, and uh, and we have a high degree of faith in the people that are helping us produce that that they will accurately recreate that to our standard and i'm blessed with that right now uh we've we've trained them though they've come out of pastry school so it's not as if they've come in as big shots none Mm -hmm. of the big shots we don't actually bring in big shots we've had a few big shots apply and we've just like turned them down (laughs) i can understand
1: why no, no, any
0: malice. I'm like, wow. I t- I showed my wife one and she was just like, "God, oh, that guy's like a world chocolate master. He wants to work for you. That's weird." Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a guy that I had a dream about. He was like the evil villain chocolatier, and like he's like big name. And I was just like, "Why do you want to work for me? That's so weird." But you know,
1: well, because a lot of the big names out there. I don't think they're making money either. This is, this is, I'm dude, this is why I started my podcast. The big names that you hear, the white jacket, crossed arms, confident looking dude or lady (laughs) (laughs) because they have both. (laughs) And, you know, I'm telling you, I don't think they're making money either. They're just, they're, they're in the trappings of it. They've won some awards. They're, they're cool as hell. But you know, unless they're they're schlepping product for a hotel, or they're or they're working for Valrona as some kind of an ambassador, you know, or they've got the side hustle, I I think those, and I think that's the thing that I kind of wanted to expose. I mean, unless, um, you know, making money is hard. So one of the routes is to be a big producer of product. Yeah, and yeah,
0: I don't, I I'm with you on that. Like honestly, I. I I wonder how some of these, the big splashy chocolatiers, how they're able to do it. And that's why it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. Like maybe, you know, gosh, it puts a lot of what you see on Instagram into real perspective.
1: Into like. real perspective. Yeah. 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 Because, well, the, yeah the... It's
0: a slog. It's a slog. I'm exhausted when I come out of there. and And I say to my wife all the time, like, I need to hire enough people that I don't have to be just in the trenches all the time. I don't mind leading from the trenches. It's really kind of heroic. It's like that kind of, I always joke, used to joke around. say it's like, you know, it's like the old quarterback, the old Joe Montana coming out for another few licks. But at a certain point in time, even old Joe is old. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tired. It's, 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 it's a slog to, to produce this much. And Mm -hmm. uh,
1: consistently all the time, all the time. But, you know, the thing is, is that I I like where where you are, because I think the next level, the next level is you become the CEO of a chocolate company. And and I that's what would happen next, because you couldn't possibly you couldn't possibly justify being in the kitchen anymore at a certain point. The million dollar and rover dude that you mentioned is not in the kitchen. I just don't believe it.
0: Not at all. He's making deals and- He's uh, making deals. St- stressing. And and the nice thing is right now, I've uh, we've set it up. So my wife is the CEO. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'm the creative director. So um, I would like to work myself out of it. I would like to work myself. I look up to Chris Elbow. You know who Chris Elbow is?
1: Yeah, Chris Elbow. Yeah,
0: Elbow's- you got an Arober from him, didn't you?
1: He has a, so yeah, I mean, we should- we should compare notes on him. I've never spoken to him either, by the way.
0: I look up to the vision of him because I want to get to the point in my business where I can go in my little test kitchen with the test my, kitchen. Head, yep. With that's with what he head, does, with, right? He goes to the test head kitchen, chef. He
1: figures all that crap out, and then he and hands it over to his team. Yes.
0: I, I want to go into the test kitchen with my head chef and he and I create the next season. And then I go off and I just, you know, I go out and talk about my business and do the things that I can do to. to keep showing the business.
1: I would love to know if this is, if this is the fantasy that we have of Christopher (laughs) elbow, or if this is actually how Christopher elbow worked, I've got to get him on sometime to talk about this. Cause if he, I'm really curious if that is what he's created, cause that would be a fantastic way. That would be a that is, that sounds better than being the CEO of a chocolate company.
0: Yes, it is. I'll tell you, I watch my wife and it's not fun being a CEO of a company for the most part of it. You know, it's, 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 it's shitty work. It's, it's a lot of shitty work and, but you know, cool. She, she gets to steer our ship and, and she's been able to do some really cool stuff with the actual business that, you know, I couldn't have done. So I really, I value what, you know, what she's brought to the business and this allowed me to focus on making the best damn product that we possibly can and leading a team to make that product. So I couldn't do, I don't know how people could do it all themselves. And at some point in time, you have to, you have to, you have to delegate or you have to hire or you have to have a partner or someone else that can do what they do really well. So you can do what you do really well. Cause you, you can't be the master of everything. Like, I don't know. Do you do your own books? Are you involved in like the whole, are you the CEO of your company?
1: I am at this yeah. point, but I've also been the CEO of every company since I was 17 and that's all I've ever done is been the CEO of a company. So, so for me, so for me, I'm I'm 50-50. I'm 50% running the company and 50% in production. And that's the most, and that's the most I'm willing, at this, at least at this moment, to go. So my income is capped relative to the fact that I can only be in there 50% of the time. Right. So if I switch that off and and then I could be a hundred percent. I could double the amount of time I am in production, and have somebody else handle the the rest of the business, so to speak.
0: You like keeping it small do do you Do you enjoy, or is it is it just a situation that you're in? Because there's also like not there's there's less stress, there's less worries when it's just you. But there's also a lot of stress because it's all on you. So right,
1: just- right. Well, well, I guess right now I'm I'm just I'm. And my own little journey here, I'm just really curious to see how far I can go by myself. Now that I've, now that I've, I dropped all my staff because production staff, because of COVID, um, I have plenty of store staff and remember we have an ice cream, chocolate shop, ice cream, chocolate, coffee shop. So, and you know, in the summertime, when you're, when you're slow, I'm busy as hell. So we're, you, we're you, ice cream. You've,
0: you've developed yourself and this is a this is a, a use that i've a word that i've used before because when we were looking for a new shop i was like I, and i and i thought about this you're a daily driver like you are for some people you could be a daily driver ice cream mm-hmm. in the summer get your coffee get your hot chocolate skip the thing like you're a reason to stop you like the tim hortons oh you don't have tim hortons down there Dunkin' Donuts. You're the reason to go to something on a regular basis.
1: We have a few Timmies. You got to look for them, but they're here. They've they've gone this far.
0: um, There's a certain type of, you know, when we were looking for a new space, I really was thinking like, if we were in certain parts of the city, I wanted to become that daily driver. That reason to stop off every day. Like maybe you're doing fresh croissants or you're doing something that people can come to every day. It's like that whole Parisian thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's great because uh, we do little things in the summer, but it's very quiet because we are really, we are a chocolate shop. So we don't, we don't do anything in the summer. We do stuff in the summer. That's the thing is we, gosh, I started Advent in June. So like <laughs> we're busy, we're busy in production, but we're not selling a lot, but that's good on you that you've become a daily driver. Cause I don't think you could probably, is, is where you live enough. Like could just chocolate support you?
1: It could if I turned on the corporate side more and if I turned on wholesaling more. So yes, now, but maybe not in the beginning. See, it's easy. It's easy to look at where, where you are now, because not, I already have a name now.
0: Right.
1: I sell out a hundred percent of whatever I make all the time. And you know, I'm not going to throw away product and nothing that, didn't sounds kind of arrogant that I say that, but I'm just saying, you know, in the beginning that wasn't the case, right? I had to make a name for myself. So having the shop was great because it provided legitimacy. It's like, wow, okay, there's really a place to go to versus having a meeting and telling someone that you're, you know, a chocolatier and you've got some cool samples with you, but, you know, well, where's your shop? Well, I don't have one. You know, this doesn't sound good.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, you know, that's, I think that's the step that the cottage person needs to get into, they need to have a brick and mortar. They need to understand what it's like to have a shop. I, I think that's a really important step in your journey.
1: But uh, then, you, but then, you, but then you, but then you're also in the retail business. You've got to learn, and this is a hard, hard business. Retail is hard. Yeah,
0: it is. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, you're you're absolutely right, though. It it is a hard business. Um, I've purposely, you know. I am involved in the staff and I'm involved in the retail side, but I don't sell anything. I like, I've really, I can understand that. I like it. it's challenging. It's cha- yeah. The retail business is really cutthroat.
1: Well, when you come into, when you come into the retail, I don't know if this, if it's like this for you, but you know, I've got my black jacket on and my black hat and I, I look the part. Right. So when I, when there's a customer downstairs and, and it's downstairs for me, um, because the shop's upstairs and, they, you know, there's a customer downstairs and, and they, you know, they're asked for me, I can come down there and put on a, a show for a couple of minutes, you know, five minutes or whatever. And I'm going to have a solid customer when I'm done. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because they got the chance to talk to the chocolatier. You know, that's your role is very important. You got to come out of production long enough to become loved. Yeah. Unless your wife can just do that for you.
0: No, at the beginning that was what I did because we had a glass screen between the kitchen and the front. Okay, and I could I could walk out from the back and you know oh Willie Wonka's here you know like exactly no, totally. you you totally you, when when you're making a name for yourself that's really important to do. Um, I don't do it as much anymore because COVID's kind of killed a lot of that. But I do leave the kitchen door open, one of the kitchen store uh, like to the front, mm-hmm. and if it's someone that I recognize and I am able to go, uh, I'll go out but it, it changes when you get into an industrial setting, you know, we're in a factory. You can't just waltz into my kitchen. Like customers used to like walk around, Hey, is Dallas there? You know, like <laughs> like, no, you can't do that anymore. Like now there's a sign on, you know, authorized personnel only, you know, like, it's just, it's a different vibe.
1: <laughs> I Totally get it. Well, it's, it's, it's been good talking to you. I knew it would be, um, well, it feels
0: just- like we just scratched the surface like I could talk to you for hours about stuff because I'm you know like this is one of the things that I've really um noticed over the years is that you know where the chocolatier or where we're at in our in our businesses it's a kind of it's it's not lonely but it's an alone gig like you may have staff you may have a partner but I don't know you know my, my wife has got lots of um mentors and she goes to groups and she's involved and she mentors others and does this thing. And I'm, I'm like, there isn't really anybody like old Bernie that I learned, Bernard Callebo that I learned, learned under, he and I go for wine and out for lunch once in a while. And he he has his own chocolate business in the city. So he's like the only person in chocolate that I talk to like face to face. And Chris and I, Chris Harvey and I jaw on Instagram, but you know.
1: Oh dude, you're exactly right. You should be able to call you should call any chocolatier anywhere and, and get the straight answer on something. We all should have that relationship totally. and Instagram I think has really helped knock down some barriers, but, uh, uh, but you're right. It, it, it is, it can get lonely and, and, you know, trial and error sucks sometimes, <laughs> You know what i mean
0: it's expensive and it yeah it hurts my heart uh yeah no the error part of it just kind of makes me sad um i found some really cool things that, through trial and error though so i i value it as an experience but it hurts it really mm-hmm. does hurt like when we when i learned how to vac seal no one showed me how any of that worked and i had no idea what i was doing at first other than one person going ha 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 don't crush them And that's exactly what I did. And this is exactly (laughs) what I did. Um, And and I had to learn it and there was no one to, you know, this flow wrap machine, I bought this flow wrap machine four years ago in in China and had it brought over here. And then it sat in my warehouse and never used it. Um, Part of it was because I didn't know, like the dude that I got it from sent me this instruction manual. That's about four pages long. And it had been badly, it probably Google translated from Chinese. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And, and so I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And then, you know, like I got into the new factory and I'm like, I'm determined. I'm going to get this thing working. And uh, I finally got it up and operational. And then, you know, Bernard, Bernie, Bernard Calvo had a similar machine. So he could give me a little bit of t- f- feedback on it, but on my own on it. And like so many things like that, I'm just like, oh, I'm on my own again, learning how to do this. And it's um, it would be great to be able to like hey oh you got the 320 crappy old Chinese special oh I I remember that machine like you know here like I'll tell you all about it
1: don't press the orange button <laughs> whatever you do <laughs> no I, yeah I, I I I hear you but just and just so being we- able to yeah, just being able to call people totally. Um, and having that access because yeah it is and, and when you get to a certain level it's hard it's it's um
0: well i got i got the you know the the new machinery that i got all the german machinery that i got from uh my friend that retired
1: yeah you lucky dog he, you
0: well but he came over like i got the machine like it came by freight truck right and, uh, and then he he comes over with the caliber rep like uh, he's the, the western Canada Caliber rep besides so Oh, I've been locked up for the last year. I I need to get out. So I'm going to go on a road trip with my buddy Greg and go teach Dallas how to use the rover. (laughs) And so he came to Calgary and taught me how to use the rover in about two hours, three hours, and then was like, okay, have a good one. And I was seeing my staff there. I was like, it's like you're going, you know, like, yeah, I just, I'm going to buy this yacht. And the guy who owns the yacht, we are just gonna go out on cruise on the open waters for like an hour, and then he's like, Okay, I'm, I'm hopping off here. You that million dollar yacht, go have fun. You take, you take it from off. here, you take it from here. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's um, you know, even a fancy and rover has its issues. Today was a was it was a stressful day, and, and I realized that. Oh damn! There's so much to learn still.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> um, don't don't get me started talking about enrobers, or this will be another yes, hour's long
0: time. I know, I but there, there's not a lot of manuals in this, so it it's been you know a lot of trial and error, and uh, it'd be great to have other people be like, oh, I remember that. Let's right. talk about it, and uh, that's why I've been really open on Instagram with people. Like if they people, my DMs are generally open, unless you ask something really inane, and I'm just like, oh, I just won't even. I'll leave you on read. But, you know, like if you ask me a real question and I know you, you at least know what you're doing and you know what you're saying and you're not just being lazy and trying to, you know, get, I, there are times when I'm just like, ask Google, like, honestly, don't, don't get a recipe.
1: It.
0: Yeah. Like a recipe. Oh my gosh. I just, yeah. But like, if you're, if you're real, I'll, I'll answer you. And I, I've tried to be that person, you know, like I'm trying to be, okay. I may feel, I felt alone in this, but I'm trying to be that person that if you have something you can ask and I can answer and I'll do it.
1: Yeah. That's nice. That's nice. And within reason,
0: you know, within reason. Within reason.
1: Yeah. It. Yeah. But all right, man. Great talking to you. Have a good night.
0: Yeah, you do. Take care.
1: All right. Yeah. Bye yeah, bye. All right. So what'd you think of this episode? I told you I would eventually have some guests. I also told you we probably would have sponsors, but we don't have any of those. If you have questions or feedback from the show, please email me at Connie at mastersofconfection.com. I answer all my emails and I can even address some of your comments on future episodes. So if you fire me an audio clip, I can take those too. You can find and follow Dallas on Instagram by searching for The Chocolate Lab. And I know that both Dallas and I tend to answer our DMs if you've got questions for him. If you've never done it, please rate the show on your podcast app. That'll help me out. But more importantly, if you know other chocolatiers that could benefit, please let them know about this podcast so they can join in with us because it's fun when there's more of us. If you like what I'm doing and you want to support the show directly, you can throw $5 in the can at our show's website on anchor.fm. So it's anchor.fm slash and then my name, Constantine Zigo. So, I wish all of you a wonderful holiday and hopefully some post-holiday downtime as well before things start all over again in Valentine's Day. All the best to you. Bye-bye now.
2: Hi, this is Nikki. You know the one who reads the credits? I'm just a little confused about something in this episode. Dallas said his wife, Ava, has seven people who do the packaging. Why don't I have seven people doing the packaging? You know, if I had seven people doing the packaging, I bet we could go twice, even three times faster than we do today. Anyway, someone had better get busy. The Business of Artisan Chocolate is written and hosted by Constantine Zico, music by the smooth jazz saxophone artist Phil Denny, learn more at phildenny.com, production and audio mastering by Chris Sweeley. Constantine Zigo is not a financial advisor, and this podcast should not be considered financial advice. Like you would take any of that seriously. Do you see the line item that has seven staff people in packaging in the budget? I do not. And as you know, I'm Nikki, who, like Dallas's wife, Ava, seems to be doing all the real work around here.